Welcome to Ballot Battleground Nevada. I'm your host, Ben Marjot, a reporter at KRNV News 4 in Reno. I'm passionate about making politics in this critical battleground state more digestible to the average voter and pushing past the talking points to press politicians for answers. On this show, we take deep dives into the people, ideas, and debates shaping Silver State politics. Nevada voters will not get the chance in November to change how our political maps are drawn, at least as it stands now. A judge last week shot down a group's effort to create an independent redistricting committee, a group that in a nonpartisan way would draw the lines that determine the boundaries of our political districts. Right now, the party in control in Carson City draws those maps with predictable results. The party in power usually benefits through gerrymandering. Barring an appeal, voters won't get a chance to weigh in on this in 2024, but it's such a critical issue we still wanted to dive in and give our listeners a deep dive into why this seemingly wonky issue matters so much. Today you'll hear from both sides of this redistricting issue, the woman pushing to change the process, and the man that challenged the ballot questions that were ultimately found to be legally deficient. We'll start off with Sandra Cosgrove, the president of Fair Maps Nevada. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Ballot Battleground Nevada. We appreciate it, especially with a lot going on in the legal world and in your world these days. Thank you for having me, because I think redistricting sometimes is hard to understand, but it's super important. Absolutely. So let's start from a place of someone who's not familiar with redistricting and that process. Every 10 years, we have to redraw our political maps because of the census. Why is that an important process that we have to undertake as a country? Redistricting is kind of at the beginning of the Constitution. So if you look at the Constitutional Convention and they were trying to figure out, are we representing states? Does the federal government represent people? What are we doing? They kind of said, we're going to put people into states because then you tend to have a community of interest, people who have things that are in common. But James Madison was very strident about saying, but the government needs to represent people too. So this is why in the House of Representatives, you have the census and how many people in your state becomes very important because that's where individuals within the state get represented. The U.S. Senate just represents states, however you wanted to find that. But if you're going to represent people in a state so that if a state has more people, it gets more representatives, you need to know how many people are in a state. So that's why in the U.S. Constitution, it says there's going to be a census every 10 years. They figure 10 years was long enough or short enough, however you want to look at it, to get an accurate count. So every 10 years, we try and go around and count everybody. And and that then determines how many members of the House of Representatives your state gets. So that can play a big role in how much tax money you're getting back from the federal government or resources, because sometimes it's called per capita or number of citizens in your state. So that means that we have to then draw maps for um, each of the representatives we get in the House of Representatives. So if you're gonna get four representatives, where do they represent? Clark County, Washoe County, Elko County. And um, the very first time that the, the federal government and the state governments did this in 1800, we immediately had political parties going, oh wait, if we draw the map this way, that gives our party an advantage. That's where we get the term gerrymander from because it was the governor of Massachusetts, Gilbert Gilbert uh, Gary, that was involved with this. And and then the people said, wait a minute, this is supposed to represent us, the people, not you, the political parties. And then we've been arguing about this ever since. And so, We're still faced with this in the state of Nevada that our legislature 
uh, draws our maps and they decide what our congressional districts are gonna be, what our legislative districts, school board, everything all the way down to the very bottom if it's dependent on number of people. Before we get into Nevada specifically, I wanted to get a little bit deeper on that process because there are things called packing and cracking, and these have been used in history to create advantages for political parties, but also to exclude racial groups, right? Tell me about that. Yes. So um, over the course of time from 1800 up until about the 1950s, 1960s, the political parties were drawing the maps in a way to give themselves an advantage. Um, one of the things you could do is you could pack certain types of people into a district. So let's say we were looking at the black population or Latino population, because usually it, it's a, a racial or ethnic group that has this happen to them, where you could say, we're just going to pack everybody in a racial group into one district so they can only rep, uh, get one representative. Or conversely, um, let's say the Latino population is very large in your state, because that's the way Nevada is. You could, if you wanted, if those were your voters, you could crack them and spread the Latino voters out into many districts to give your party an advantage because you would have a base of Latino voters in more than one district. Um, what the federal courts have said is that is not fair to those voters. They should be treated equally when it comes to drawing the maps. So you should not pack them into one very compact district. You should not crack them either to give your party an advantage, but not giving those voters the ability to vote for somebody and, and elect someone that represents them. So that's actually in federal law and federal court cases that have gone to the U.S. Supreme Court that you cannot pack and you cannot crack. But there's also what's called communities of interest. And communities of interest are broader than a racial group or an ethnic group. So you might, you might be looking at a map and you might say, um, there's a, a language group. So people who speak a common language, even though they're not part of an ethnic group, that they have lived in a certain part of your state for a long time, like the Basque population in the state of Nevada, which tends to be represented in our rural areas. And the Basque group could say, we're a community of interest because we share a lot of things in common and we have common views and common interests we should be able to elect someone that represents our views. And so communities of interest is also something the federal government has said has to be taken into consideration to kind of put a, a, a restraint on the political parties when the parties are just trying to draw the maps for their advantage. The Supreme Court essentially, though, has ruled that racial gerrymandering is illegal and unconstitutional, but gerrymandering for political purposes essentially is not illegal, it's allowed today? Up until um, 2019, so 2018, you couldn't do partisan gerrymandering or you couldn't do racial gerrymandering. So if it was blatant that a political party was manipulating the boundary lines of the district just to give themselves an advantage, that was also considered illegal. Then we get to 2018 and the US Supreme Court comes out with what's called Rucho v. Common Cause, um, which was a, a redistricting lawsuit that came out of South Carolina. And what the court said in this ruling is, we can't figure out what's partisan and what's not partisan. You can no longer bring partisan gerrymandering court cases through the federal court system. If you wanna argue about partisan gerrymandering, it needs to be done at the state level based on state law and state constitution. So technically you can still sue and say that this is a partisan gerrymander that should be overturned, but you have to be able to point to a state law or your state constitution, and then the court case has to be in state court. So as far as it could go up would be like in our state, the Nevada Supreme Court, in order to have a partisan gerrymander overturned. 
Gotcha. Appreciate that explanation. That sets the stage really for the 2020 census. In Nevada, we count everyone as we do all across the country. And then we have a special session, I believe, in 2021 to officially draw the maps for the entire 2020s in the next several election cycles. As we've talked about before, people might assume that these districts are, you know, ordained from heaven and they are the way that they are and they're fairly drawn. And that's not really the case. This is a political process. How does it happen specifically in Nevada? In Nevada, we we have some other things, some other variables that make our process particularly bad. Our legislature exempts itself from the open meeting law. It exempts themselves from the Public Records Act. So what we find when our political parties draw the people's maps, it's our maps, it represents us, they're allowed to go behind closed doors, lock the door, and you and I are not allowed to know who they're talking to, what they're taking into consideration. The first thing we know is when they come out of that room and say, here's the maps. And so there is no transparency, there is no public oversight of the actual drawing process. So we all wait, I know you were waiting (laughs) like I was, as soon as the maps came out, we have software now that you can upload the maps into and you can start seeing you know, how many Latino voters are here and how many black voters are here and did they move a line in this district or did they not? And when we all did that, many of us said, whoa, Congressional District 1 changed a lot. Instead of it going east-west across the Las Vegas Valley, it is now east going on the east side going south. Now you don't have the Latino population and the historic West Black population together. You've got the east side, which is heavily Latino population, and very white Henderson together. And so many of us zeroed in on that. But then as individual legislators were looking at their lines, Heidi Gansert's district all of a sudden became much more blue. Greg Hafen's district all of a sudden included parts of Las Vegas. So there were many things in that map that was causing us all to have concern. Um, But as you said, we were in a special session in 2021 because COVID had caused the census numbers to come out late. Usually this happens during the legislative session. But since 2001, we've always had some type of special session or something happen afterwards because this has been so contentious. So we got the maps and then we got told, okay, do public comment because we want to get done as fast as possible. The reason for that is because the Democrats were in control of the legislature and we had a Democratic governor that was going to sign the maps no matter what happened. There was only one person, one person who spoke in favor of the maps during public comment. Everyone else, Democrats and Republicans and nonpartisans, said, no, we do not like what you did to these maps. We do not agree with them. So it was almost unanimous that we all said, no, there's a problem with these maps. Yeah, there was widespread opposition. But as you point out, there was a Democratic trifecta at the time. So Democrats had power in the state Senate, the state assembly, and then Governor Steve Sisolak, a Democrat in office at that time. He passes those maps into law. They are in effect now. Uh, The result of those, we just got uh, last year the report from the Princeton Gerrymandering Project. This is a nonpartisan group that takes a look at maps that are passed all over the country. Nevada's maps on the congressional side, our four congressional districts, got an F. They found that it created a significant partisan advantage for Democrats. And then as well as in the Senate, they got a B, so a decent grade, but also created a slightly Democratic advantage in the Senate. What's your reaction when these maps are passed into law as someone who wants our maps to be fair for Nevadans? When I saw that F and I saw that they were specifically talking about CV1, I thought, oh, our gut feeling was right. 
that when we looked at that mat and said, oh, this is not right, they just confirmed to us, this is not right. But here's the problem that we ran into. That was a racial gerrymander. You, they, um, the Democrats actually admitted that they were cracking the Latino population to give themselves an advantage in the other two congressional districts that were here in Clark County. That was said during the hearings, but the Democrats assumed we're, we're allowed to partisan gerrymander. We might as well say we partisan gerrymandered. There's not anything you can do about it. But when people are saying, no, but you're cracking a racial group, this could be a racial gerrymander. The problem we ran into is that the special session was in December. And in order for someone to be able to overturn the maps with a lawsuit, you have to be careful of what's called the Purcell principle. And so this is what Greg Hafen um, and the Republicans, when they took the maps to court as fast as they possibly could, the judge said, people are already filing to run in the next election cycle under these maps. We cannot change the maps once the election process has started. The judge didn't rule on the merits, didn't check to see if it was racial ger gerrymandering. He just said, according to the Purcell principle, if the election process has started, I cannot change the maps. And so we never had the chance to take it through a court case where evidence could be given and all that to decide if there was a racial gerrymander. And the end result for our listeners who aren't as familiar is we have this northern Nevada congressional district represented by Mark Amaday that's been reliably and heavily read as the majority of the northern part of the state is. In the south, previously, we had a couple of swing districts and one reliably blue district held by Dina Titus Wright. And now congressional district one. And now all three of those are a little bit well, by making her district a little less blue, but still safely Democratic, they were able to move some of those Democratic voters into the more swing districts and make three, I think they called it reliably blue districts, right? That's correct. And so that's where we had the discussion about cracking the Latino population and moving Latino voters, especially into CD3. That's why CD1 went from being across the valley east and west to down the east side and then south into Henderson, Green Valley, that area, taking a Latino population and connecting it to a mostly white population. And so you guys have been pushing to change this process for many years now through previous efforts to get questions on the state on the ballot in November, as well as bills in the state house. Unfortunately for you guys, those haven't panned out yet, including with what happened last week. So you guys had submitted two different ballot questions to put on the November ballot, explain what those would have done. When we when we first ran um, the ballot question to, to adopt an independent redistricting commission. So we, we want to take the power to redistrict away from the legislature, but more importantly, put it under the open meeting law and put it under the open records act. Give it complete transparency and sun, sunshine. So it's not just taking it away from the MENO legislators, it's, it's creating a better process that's not corrupted by this exemption from the Open Meeting Law and the Public Records Act. So we were just ready to do signatures. We you know, were ready to go and then COVID hit. When you do a petition in Nevada, you have to get what's called a wet signature. That means if I am, let's say right now you and I were talking about you supporting a ballot initiative. I couldn't say to you, Ben, would you like to electronically sign? No, I would have to fly up to Reno we would have to meet, so I would be looking at you right in the eye, and then I would have to watch you sign. So we were under COVID lockdown. There was no way that we could get signatures in that process. We asked Governor Sisolak if he would allow us to do electronic signature, if we could do it through verified signature, because everyone else 
was using electronic signature because we were on lockdown. Um, he ignored us. So we went to federal court to try and get electronic signature. Unfortunately, by the time we went through all the court cases and the governor still said no electronic signature, it was the end of July. There was no way for us to qualify. But, but we had gone, we uh, had appealed up to the Nevada Supreme Court. So in July, at the same time, we finally had to get up on, uh, give up on signatures. The Nevada Supreme Court gave its blessing to our ballot initiative, said there's nothing wrong with this. It could move forward, but we couldn't move forward then. When we decided to run the ballot initiative again, it's the exact same language with just one difference. And I'll tell you why the difference is there. In 2022, there was a group that tried to do education savings accounts as a constitution amendment, constitutional amendment. When that went to the Nevada Supreme Court, the Nevada Supreme Court um, gave a very kind of radical decision and changed something very fundamental on how we do ballot questions. The Nevada Constitution says, if you are proposing a statutory ballot question or a ballot question that amends a statute, so creates a law or an amends a law, you have to provide a funding source. You have to say how are you gonna raise a tax or move money around but it didn't say anything about constitutional amendments. So, so no one had said anything about our ballot question in 2020 costing any money. It just went through and they said it was fine. But in 2022, the court said, no, we're also gonna say, if you wanna amend the Nevada constitution, you have to provide a funding source. I'm not exactly sure how I, as a citizen, am supposed to be able to raise taxes because I don't see my name in the constitution anywhere. This says that the, the distribution of power says Sandra can raise taxes. So I'm not even sure how I'm supposed to do that. So I think what I, how I feel is I feel my constitutional right to run a ballot question has been stopped. It is, it now no longer exists because of that 2022 ruling. Be that may, as it may, we knew that ruling was out there. So we put up one ballot question that said, if this passes the second time, because you have to vote two times on the constitutional amendment, we redraw the maps in 2026. Uh, we know there is a gerrymander there. We have proof from the Princeton Gerrymandering Project and it's racial, not partisan. But we said, if we draw the maps in 2026, that's an extra drawing. There's obviously going to be extra funding required. So we said to be safe, let's run a second ballot initiative at the same time, put it up. This says we will redraw the maps in 2031 using an independent redistricting commission. That's when we normally redraw the maps. That, that funding is already set aside that every 10 years we must redraw the maps, the funding is there. Unfortunately, um, we got sued, uh, two uh, democratically aligned uh, law firms sued us, and they said, no, we think that the second ballot question also will require money in a way that violates that 2022 ruling. It doesn't provide a funding source and it must. We argue, no, we're just using the same money that's gonna be available. The judge actually agreed with the plaintiffs and are saying that we have to provide a funding source. Again, I'm afraid if we put a funding source in there, they'll sue us and say that's that's a violation of single subject rule. And I'm afraid that they'll say, Sandra doesn't have the, the authority to raise taxes. You can't do that. So we're going to have to appeal up to the Nevada Supreme Court. That was going to be my next question, but I'll back up a little bit and just explain briefly what these would do. So they would both these proposed ballot questions create uh, an independent redistricting commission to draw maps not only for the congressional seats in the U.S. House, but also the Nevada Senate, Nevada Assembly. And as you mentioned, one would have started um, as soon as possible, as soon as this was passed in 2026, the other one waiting for the next census cycle in 2030. Both would have created a seven-member body, four people appointed by legislative leaders, 
three that were nonpartisans and that were appointed by the other four commissioners. Is that how other states do it? Am I describing that right? And how do you think this would help solve the problem of gerrymandering? In other states, um, I think that they actually made a mistake, and this is why you're seeing a lot of contention in some states about maps drawn by independent commissions, is they just said we want an equal number of Democrats and an equal number of Republicans. In some states, they're colluding with each other and giving each other gerrymanders. In other states, they're just slamming at each other and they can't come to a resolution. We said our group of nonpartisan voters is ballooning. It's now our largest group of voters. Where are they included in this process? They're not because they technically don't have any representation specifically for nonpartisans in the legislative process. So what we said is give the parties obviously a seat at the table. It's going to be transparent. But then we want three nonpartisans. Give them a seat at the table and let them check the parties. So what our, our process says is that you can't just have um, four people. So the Democrats and Republicans approve the map. You have to convince at least one of those nonpartisans to go along with you so that the nonpartisans can whistleblow on them and say, no, we think they're actually still gerrymandering. We will not approve these maps. We think that's a better process. Fast forward to the ruling that came down last, last week. What was your reaction to that ruling? And as you mentioned before, why are you so passionate about now pursuing an appeal to the state Supreme Court? I was not surprised that the ballot question that said that we would redraw the maps in 2026 was stopped because obviously that's going to require an extra allocation of money because we don't usually redistrict in the middle of a, a decade. That one, I was like, okay, we, we tested it out. The court said no. What really surprised me, though, is that the, the judge also struck down the, mat, the ballot question that says the maps must be drawn in 2031. The money has to be allocated for redistricting. That is a constitutional mandate. Our constitution right now says our legislature must redraw our maps after every decennial census. So all we're saying is, is instead of giving the money to the legislature, allocate the money out to an independent redistricting commission. There is no way that funding our whole legislature drawing the maps and funding seven people drawing the maps is, is going to be more money would go to the independent redistricting commission. We, we were assuming it's going to be a lot cheaper because our commissioners are volunteers. No, the judge said, actually, I think it will cost more money to use your independent redistricting commission. Therefore, you have to provide a funding source. We completely disagree with that ruling. So we are going to appeal it to the Nevada Supreme Court. What's the timeline now for signature gathering if you guys were to win an appeal at the Supreme Court? Because obviously in late February now, time is ticking. So we're going to go to the Nevada Supreme Court and say that we need our case expedited because we only have until about the end of June to get about 115,000 to make sure we have a margin in case there's some signatures that are bad to get all those signatures turned in and get them verified. So when when our attorneys put in their briefs, I am assuming they're going to say this needs to be done as fast as possible or the fair maps Nevada citizens are going to lose their constitutional right to try to run a ballot question. We'll see what happens. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Sandra. We really appreciate it. Thank you. A great chat with Sandra Cosgrove of Fair Maps Nevada. The ultimately successful appeal against the ballot question was brought by Eric Jang, a Democratic voter and the deputy director of One APIA Nevada, a group that represents the Asian Pacific Islander community.
Eric, thank you so much for coming on Ballot Battleground Nevada. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ben, for this opportunity. Absolutely. So what's your involvement in the redistricting process? Because you're lobbyist, right? I imagine you were down there in Carson City for redistricting in the special session in 2021. What's your involvement in getting these new maps approved a couple years ago? So in 2021, uh, I worked for community nonprofits uh, and different groups, really as a community advocate uh, for the Asian American Pacific Islander community because of how fast the community's growth and also the growing political power. So in 2021, my involvement was really working through different nonprofits and making sure that the community interests or the community of interest, I think that's in the redistricting terms, are being counted during the census and then being able to make sure their powers are reflected in our district maps. So I think in 2021, in the redistricting process, uh, learn a lot about the special session, learn a lot about the community efforts that not only through state legislature and through on the county and, and local side on how these boundaries, these maps were drawn. What was your reaction to the maps that were ultimately passed? Were you pleased with how those turned out? Yeah, I think the, there's a lot of community input, especially for the Asian American community and that or the API uh, community that really did reflect uh, the power that comes with it, uh, but it also helps us create the district that was not kind of not in the redistricting term, not broken up and then not uh, condensed. So that made sure that uh, accurately reflect where the community lives and then all the voters that are able to exercise their power and their voice. So in the end, yes, there there could be a lot more done that I think was more on uh, educating the public on how the process was done, but also gathering feedback. But I think overall, we did see because of the new map, uh, new a lot of new legislators were elected and a lot of them did come from the community. And I do think that overall we benefited from that. So fast forward a couple of years, why did you want to challenge the legality of these proposed ballot questions to create an independent redistricting commission? I think it's really not for or against the redistricting the, the, the original proposal, because I feel like every Nevada has a right to propose and participate in ballot measure. But there are laws regarding whether you can spend taxpayer money on your ballot measure projects. And I think that's why we I propose it as a, as a kind of a concerned voter and someone that really did uh, was involved in the redistricting process three years ago. So I don't think, I think the judge made the right decision, like correctly decided that this one costs the state money without mechanism for raising the funds. And not only for redistricting, I think uh, we met when during the regular session about how penny pitching all the all the different projects are. So it's important to make sure it's a funded mandate. And I think that's something that we we saw. The judge didn't strike it down because it was a good or bad idea. I think it was based on it was not it was not lawfully spending the state money and it's not a part it's not aligned with our, our state constitution. So that's that's where I came from. So as a hypothetical, what is the way that someone would go about creating this type of an independent redistricting commission through a ballot question, given that your average Joe does not have the power of the purse strings in order to be able to allocate money to support something that might cost money. Yeah. So I think that's why, uh, that's why the, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not an expert in terms of on the judiciary branch. 
I'm not an expert uh, in terms of our elected official, but what I'm an expert in is understanding as a community member that we have the rights to propose these different things, but once it's costing state uh, funds, and I think that's outside of the purview of what we can do on ballot measure. So I think there's a lot of great, great intention. So I think the way is through maybe uh, in legislative session, learning how our budgeting process can help out on uh, initiatives like this. I think these are all conversations that we can have, especially uh, next year we have uh, another uh, legislative session. I think that's where we get to see the very limited and how responsible we are as taxpayer and also holding our legislator accountable on the, the funds that are allocated properly. And if that's something the uh, legislator re representing the people's interest think that's the way to go, maybe that's that's where we get a proper and legitimate way of funding things like this. Just on principle alone, it sounds like you might be in favor of such a commission if they had gone about it in a different way through the legislature. Am I hearing you right? I don't think I will be in favor of it. I think every state has very different political landscape. Every state has its own history. I think what I'm in favor of is putting this in a way that I think ballot measure is a great way to bring on issues that uh, have not touching the state funding. I think this part is something that through the legislative session, maybe there could be hearing, maybe there could be a way to really figure out where to, if there's a will, if, if there's a political will for this, if there's a community support behind it, and then if it is, there's a proper way of funding it. So I think I don't really have a strong in favor or I, I've been, I think through this process, I've been learning about how other states do their uh, redistricting comparing to our experience and learning from a lot of states, uh, from community advocates. Every state has very different, I think that's a case by case basis. So I don't believe that we can just come out and say independent redistricting commission in some states is the way to go, or for Nevada, I really believe the last redistricting process showed us, yes, there are still some shortcomings that we can do in terms of community participation, but currently these are still a bipartisan uh, commission that uh, that's uh, reflecting the community's voices and power. What would you say to the argument that I've heard, which is that you know, you're a Democratic voter represented by a couple of Democratic attorneys and that this mm -hmm. argument that you guys made to challenge this ballot question was just an effort at not dealing with the funding so much as just a, an effort to preserve Democratic power because they currently have control over this process. I think that's a very short term and kind of a shallow way of putting how our effort are our suit. It's also understanding that this is the the current process really came from a lot of community input, a lot of community work. I, I, I don't think that's the proper way to put put that. Yeah, I'm a Democrat voter, but I don't really, I'm, uh, I think what I'm trying to say is, as I think everyone have the, the initiative to propose those, uh, those ballot measures, but in the end, uh, if it's not part of the Constitution, it's adding extra work in terms of folks that like us that's working on democracy, that's working on expanding democracy, that's working on more fair and accessible way. And in the end, these are 
these are lawyers that understand how we can make it work in a proper way that really benefit the community long term. Eric Jang, thank you so much for joining this episode of Ballot Battleground Nevada. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. What great conversations with Sandra and Eric. I hope that gives you a primer into this issue of redistricting that ends up affecting everything else in our politics. It may come back on appeal or it may be dead. We, of course, will continue to follow it as that appeal moves forward. Until then, thank you so much for listening to Ballot Battleground Nevada. If you like the show, please take a minute and leave a rating and a review. We'll see you next week.